Well, again, we're glad each and every one of you is here with us as we are continuing our teaching series called Christmas Has Come Here. And last week, as we began this series, I I love to involve you in it. And you did such a great job. I said, hey, why don't we do round two of this? All right. So so to start off, I want to just ask a simple question. And the question is this. What are your favorite Christmas movies? All right. And I want you to just share. Like I'm, This is like a sharing time. So from where you are, feel free to say, hey, this is my favorite Christmas movie. Die Hard. Die hard. <laughs> I like that. I like that. Polar Express. Polar Express. What else? Elf. Elf. A, lo- a Christmas Carol. Home Alone. The Santa Claus. The Santa Claus. What's that? Prancer. White Christmas. Christmas story. (laughs) National Lampoons. Christmas Chronicles, right? Is that what I heard over there? Okay. Very good. Uh, She she said something. I don't know what that is, but I'm going to like let that be her. Very good. Very good. All right. I love it. All right. Now, here's the next question. Here's the next question. What Christmas movies don't you like? Some, some, die hard. Some of the, the, you guys are now, now making fun of those movies that were said, but seriously, what movies do you not like? What Christmas movies do you not like? Christmas Vacation, Red Claws. Grinch. Yeah, Grinch. I've heard that before as well. So as we think about this, here's, here's the point that I want to make today, as we think about movies. Movies are telling stories, right? We would agree with that. They, they tell stories, and, and some movies do a better job at it than others. And the stories that are told are meant to captivate us, to bring us into what's being communicated and being shown and on display for us. And even movies that we don't like, there's this redemptive quality if we choose to see them. I heard someone say they don't like Elf, which we're praying for that person. You know, we're asking God to do a deep, deep work in their life. But even this week, even this week, even this week, I, I was watching Elf with my son and I was just reminded of not only how fun the movie is, but there's a specific line where Buddy says, he says, I don't know where I belong. I don't belong anywhere. I don't belong in the North Pole, and I don't belong to my biological family. And how many of us in life have a, a moment like that where we're like, I don't, I don't feel like I really belong. I don't feel like I'm, I'm invited in. I don't feel like people connect with me. And we all have moments like that. But if we're, we're honest, we, we prefer a story that's always upbeat, always going well, always ends the way that we want it to go. There's... there's there's a, a truth for all of us that we, we like it when it's moving in the direction that we want it to go. But then when there's these wrinkles within our story, the, the sorrows, the pain, uh, the cracks, as Amy talked about, that's when it gets challenging. That's when it gets difficult. That's when it gets really, really hard for us. And, and life is like that, right? And I, I don't think any of us are like, yeah, sign me up for the cracks and the, you know, the wrinkles in the story, the sorrow, the hard parts. No one is saying that. And yet, it's, it's part of our experience. And in this series, what we've said is, as we think about what it is that we're trying to accomplish, we really want to hold on to this, which is that 
this series, when we, we talk about how Christmas has come here, we're simply saying that Christmas has come here and Christ comes near to our joy and fear. And this last Wednesday, my wife and I, we went to a concert in Philadelphia. It was one of those concerts that was on her bucket list. She's never got to see this band, and she really wanted to see this band. And it was a birthday gift that I wanted to give to her, and it was this group called Over the Rhine. And you may or may not know who they are, but anyways, I've never really listened to them in great detail until my wife is raving about them. I'm like, wow, they're really good. And so I'm listening to the albums, getting ready for the concert, and then I go and I'm like, wow, they're just as good as from the album to the concert. And in, in the uh, concert, they talk about how they want to bring these hopeful dimensions of life in Christmas, but they also want to be honest about the difficult dimensions of life in Christmas. Because they're wanting to give comfort, but you have to be honest that both exist. And even as we left the concert, we got a real sense of, of what they were describing because the music was good, it was an incredible night, great time with my wife. But as we got in the car, we get this text message from Amy's mom. There are two firefighters in Neutropoli who, who lost their lives in, in the line of protecting and helping and trying to save others. And that's really near to our community because it's where we live, but also my brother-in-law is a volunteer firefighter. And the church that my mother-in-law and brother-in-law are part of, right in Neutropoli, they're right down the street from that fire company. In fact, they held a prayer vigil Friday night for them, and it was packed. People were coming to receive comfort. And so that's one part of, of life where it's like, wow, that is really intense. It goes from Ultra exciting, joyful, going to a concert to hearing this news that's very sobering. And then there's even a susp a suspicious how the fire was started. They're looking into all the, the things that with that. And then the other part of it is around 1.30 in the morning, we got a wake-up call from a, a little man. And it wasn't an elf. It was, uh, it was my son, <laughs> he, the six-year-old Ray. And he was saying, my stomach does not feel good. And I'll spare you the details of what was going to happen next, but, but for about two hours of time, every time he would get relief and then uh, go to sleep, he'd wake back up in like literally three minutes. And, and you know, as, as I was thinking about this time that we're in together today, I was reminded, isn't, again, life like that? You, you know, the highs of a concert, the lows of, of what's happening around us in the world in which we live, and then in our own lives. These, these little things that make it even that much more difficult. These little things like sickness and the challenges that come with that. Not getting a good night's sleep. Having to keep Ray home from school. All these things that are, uh, that are part of, of life. And so as we think about that, I want to give you this question. And it's simply this. What's one thing in your life that you think will never change? What's one thing? And I, and I know that, you know, that there's that old saying, you know, the one thing that you can always count on is death and taxes, you know, which is true, you know, that's true. Um, and it seems like they're going to keep going up, right, the taxes part, you know, like, you know, that's part of life, right? That's part of life. And, and change is inevitable. I heard someone say that as well uh, as we were saying this, this question. But there, there's a, a truth to this in our own lives that there are things that 
we don't want to hope or dare to hope about. There is like actually within us the cynicism that starts to build up. It's a self-protective layer that we have that we don't believe that God could possibly take something bad and turn it into something good. And we all have that. We all have those things in us that we use to protect ourselves from daring to hope and dream again. If we're honest, if we're really honest. And that leads us to the passage we're going to be in today, because throughout this series, we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 1. But I want you to hear what this man named Zechariah was about to experience. And as we look at this story, we have to be reminded that for the nation of Israel, they're experiencing great oppression from the Roman government. There's 400 years of silence since God has spoken through a prophet to them. Not only that, but the people of God are turning away from God. The priests, those who are the religious leaders, many of them are not about the way in which God has intended them to lead people towards who he is and what he has for them. Instead of helping people, they're harming people and making it harder for them to come to him. They're about themselves instead of about God and his ways. And there is this man... Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth and others as well though who had held on to the goodness of God in the midst of all these circumstances that they had found themselves in. And we find that Zechariah and Elizabeth though were unable to have a child. And for many, many, many years they had prayed for a child. And last week we saw how it was told to Zechariah that Elizabeth was going to have a child, and they're to name him John, John the Baptist, and how John was going to be used to turn people back to God, and that not only to turn people back to God, that he would be a great source of joy and delight for others, that he would cause a, a lot of rejoicing, even in the midst of calling people to turn back to God. And this is the angel Gabriel, and, and they're very familiar with Gabriel because of the book of Daniel. And the book of Daniel talks about how Gabriel was there and was giving these visions to Daniel. And so Zechariah, being a priest, familiar with the Old Testament, familiar with Gabriel, you would think in that moment he's going to like be like, yes, awesome, great news. Let's do uh, backflips. Let's do cartwheels. Let's, you know, man, so exciting. But I want you to hear what happens next. And this is found, again, in Luke 1. Verse 18, this is from Dr. Luke. It says this, Zechariah asked the angel. And let's read this whole part, the rest of it, out loud together on three. One, two, three. How can I be sure of this? I am an old man, and my wife is well along in years. And you hear this from Zechariah, and at first glance, you're like, oh, that's not a bad question to ask. That's an innocent question. But really what Zechariah is doing is saying, I don't believe that this could ever happen. (laughs) I know I've been praying this way, but how can I be sure of this? How can I be sure that what you're saying is trustworthy? Because I look at what I am, how old I am, and how far along my wife is as well in years. How can this happen? How can I be sure of this? And you know, as we think about our own lives, don't we all have moments like that where God is doing something 
within us and around us. And our answer to him isn't to have confident trust in who he is and his goodness towards us, but to question it and to give him the litany of reasons why it couldn't be. Whether it's who you are, what you're not, what you don't have, where you've been, who you've been with, all these things. We all have those things in our lives, the ways in which we answer God when we're not trusting in his goodness towards us and for us. But again, Zechariah says, how can I be sure of this? Listen to this response. It says, the angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. And so as you hear what's going on in this, Gabriel says, I am Gabriel. And for him to say this was to say, do you know who you're talking to? (laughs) Like, do you get this? Like an angel... But not just an angel, Gabriel, I stand in the presence of God, and I'm here, and I'm delivering you this message of good news. I'm bringing this good news to you. I'm here to tell you this good news. And and here's what we learn even in this, as we look at this very first Christmas. It's all about the good news. The good news that's been proclaimed to each and every one of us, the good news of what Jesus has done for us and how he's made a way for us in our lives so that we can encounter all that God has intended for us. This is good news that's going to cause great joy for all people. And for specifically for Zechariah, it was the good news that a child was coming, that his prayers were going to be answered. But even as God shows up, he has a hard time believing it. And how about you? Where in your life are you having a hard time believing that God is good and that he has good towards you and that he's for you? Where in your life are you like Zechariah? And if I think about this in my own life, I have tons of moments as I look at my own journey with God where it's hard to see what he's up to and then doubt starts to creep in and, and then my trust starts to wane. We all have moments like that. But doubt in itself is not the enemy, but rather an opportunity to deepen our dependence and trust in God. Instead of running from him, run to him. Come to him what it is that we are struggling and wrestling with. And he says that he's not going to be able, he's not going to be able to speak until the day this happens. Because you do not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. And here's the good news about this word appointed time. It means God is always on time. Always on time. He's never late. He's never late. This message was going to come on at the right time. It didn't matter how old Zachariah was, how old Elizabeth was. It did not matter. And yet, yet part of what's going to happen in Zachariah's life is throughout this pregnancy, he's going to have to be He's going to be unable to speak. And some believe not only he's unable to speak, but he's also unable to hear. That's what some others 
are saying about, about Zechariah. And so as you think about this, the whole term of the pregnancy, he's not going to be able to speak and hear. And what a, a picture in our own lives that sometimes what God wants to do for us is to be still before him. To cease striving and to know that he is God. To stop talking and even to stop hearing the outside noise, but to hear from him. And I think this is actually a picture for what's to happen in Zechariah's life as well. I think God is trying to do something deeper in him, even in the midst of this as well. Well, it goes on here as we continue. It says, when he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but, but remained unable to speak. And this is where the game charades comes from, from Zechariah. He's like, I've got like five words for you, you know, like, <laughs> he's, trying to, he's trying to say this, you know, like, you know, all these things, you know, I can imagine him doing this, like, <laughs> you know, like, I'm just trying to imagine how he's doing it, you know, how he's signing to them, like, what happened, you know, like, you know, like, you can't, like, even convey it to them, but he's trying to, to, to communicate with all these signs, And you know, in the midst of that, God's activity was still there. And his lack of faith, his lack of faith did not determine God's faithfulness towards him. And you need to hear that this morning. Zachariah's lack of faith did not determine God's faithfulness towards him because the promise still remained, even when he remained wavering in his faith, even when he remained with the inability to have the faith that was needed. God was still faithful, even when we're unfaithful. He is still faithful towards us. So as we think about this, I want to give us a couple things. First is this. In the dark, it's the most tempting to doubt God's light. In the dark, it's the most tempting to doubt God's light. When there's difficulty, when there's pain, when there's long seasons of waiting for God to show up and to work out something that isn't good for good. It's tempting to doubt that his light is going to break through. Break through the cracks. Break through the cracks of life that we experience. It's difficult to do that. That is when it's the most tempting to doubt God's light. When we're in the midst of this darkness, this heavy season that we're experiencing. Again, in the dark, it's the most tempting to doubt God's light. And as we continue on here, here's, here's a question for you. Where are you doubting the goodness of God? Where are you doubting the goodness of God? Where are you saying it's impossible for you to do this? Where is it for you right now? Maybe it's a health diagnosis. Maybe it's a job situation. Maybe it's a relationship that's not going the way that you hoped it would go. What, what is it in, in your life? Maybe it's a, a job situation that you find yourself in. Maybe it's the financial strain that you're facing. Maybe it's even the good things that are really challenging and difficult to manage. Like So maybe you're here and, and you're seeing things take off, but there's not enough people to help and support what it is that you need to do in your workplace, in the environment that you find yourself in. You find that people right now, their fuse is really short. And that makes it challenging as well. And we're in a season that we believe and we're hopeful is, 
It's changing because COVID is over, so to speak, right? Like as far as what we had experienced. But I believe that actually, I believe that we are in a season of preparation for what's to come, where it is going to get challenging again, and it is going to continue to be difficult. And it's not a question if it will, but how will we be what I call battle ready? Not to fight people, but to fight for people. To, to be about the will and the ways of God here. And part of this is wrestling with what's going on in our own lives. Because it starts from what he wants to do in us before he ever wants to do something out there with us. And I know that to be true in my own life. Many times I'm focused on what's going on out there. And he's saying, hey, I have a gift for you that I want to give to you. And I look back at that season that we walked through with COVID. And it was hard and difficult to lead through. But one of the things God has been showing me recently is actually... Even though it was challenging, I was still good, but I actually was trying to give you a gift. And that gift I have now, me, have received. It's a gift of him growing things that needed to be grown in me, things that needed to be changed in me, things in which he was helping me to understand more fully who I am, where I've been, and where he's trying to take me. And you know, in our own lives as well, he's doing that. His goodness towards us is to give us those gifts. And it's not to minimize the hard, but rather to hold on to the hope that's found that he's good even when life or circumstances aren't. So again, where are you doubting the goodness of God? Where are you saying it's impossible for you to do this? It's impossible for you to show up in here. It's impossible for you to redeem the situation. It's impossible for me to be thankful and to find joy even in the pain. It's impossible. You couldn't possibly do that. You possibly could not change the people around me, including me. You couldn't possibly reach the people in my neighborhood, in my workplace with your hope. You could not do it. What's your, it's impossible for you, God? Where is it? Where is it in your life? And as we think about that, we're going to continue on here. And this comes from Rich Velotis because I love how Rich Velotis, who's a pastor in Queens, helped to even speak to what it is as we consider the goodness of God and our doubting and our wrestling. He says, I love the story of Zechariah in Luke 1. God's promise to him isn't thwarted by his lack of faith. The angel Gabriel says, you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. God's commitment to us is not in proportion to the size of our faith. Isn't this good news, friends? Isn't it good to know that we have a God that's so involved in our lives? So involved in not only our lives, but the lives of those around us and the world in which we live? Because when we doubt the goodness of God, part of it is a belief that he's not involved, that he's distant, and that he doesn't care, and that he's not aware. But we know through the psalm, Psalm 9.10 says, you do not abandon those who seek you. And even in our moments where we lack faith and we're seeking him, he's not going to abandon us. Again, even when we're unfaithful, he remains faithful. Because again, God shows up for Zechariah and Elizabeth in this specific way. And I want to just acknowledge that for some of you, you're still aching for a child. And for use, that is the thing that's really hard for you. You're unable to get pregnant. The child that you want, infertility, 
has not allowed you to have that child. And Amy and I know that journey really, really well. And for some of you, it's we've been trying to adopt a child, and that process is going on and on and on and on. But I want you to know, even in that, even in that, while that's hard, God is near to you in those circumstances and wants to walk with you and journey with you through that. And maybe your ache is totally different, but it's important that we pay attention to it. It's important that we can name, where are we doubting the goodness of God? Where are we not believing that he's going to show up? Where are we saying it's impossible for you? Because then we can take that to him. Then we can take that to others. I know for me, when I'm in a season of doubting his goodness, it's important for me not to run from him, but to run to him and to involve good friends who are safe and say, hey, I'm wrestling with this. And then they listen, and then they start to say, what's your problem? No, no, they don't do that, right? I can't believe you have doubts. No, no, they just say, hey, hey, let's, let's talk this through. Let's take a journey to what's going on within. And we all need people like that in our lives as well. We need people to walk with us in it. And as we continue on here, I want to just ask you this question, and this, this comes from Finding Joy in Pain. It's a devotional found on version, And it simply asks these two questions. Is there a circumstance in my life where a cynical response is more natural than a joyful one? Am I valuing self-protection over trust? And I want you to be reflecting on these, considering these. Is there a circumstance, again, in my life where a cynical response is more natural than a joyful one? Where is cynicism in you? Where is it in your own posture towards God, towards people, and to the ways in which He can work? Where is there this self-protection layer over your heart that, in turn, causes you not to trust Him? Because what He always wants to do is deepen our dependence and our trust on Him. He's always inviting us to go deeper with Him in that way. But trust is one of those things that it's hard to to come by because of our own stories and what it is that we experience and the expectations that we have and the way that we see the world. And we create this self-protective layer. And Jesus is saying, hey, I want to chip away those pieces of your heart where you've become hardened. And it may be just a small part but I want to chip them away because I want you to deeper, deeply trust me and find the right people that you can run with towards me and what I have for you. Because not everybody is trustworthy in our lives, right? That doesn't mean that they're not good people and we don't love them. But it's not saying that, hey, we should open up to anybody and everybody. But it's important for us to think about that. And there's this prayer that comes from this as well. And I want just to read this out loud together on three. One, two, three. Lord... Help me trust that you can turn my confusing or painful situation into something good. Give me strength to accept what you have for me, even if it looks different than I expected. And this helps us to believe that he's at work. This helps us to believe that he's involved. This helps us to deepen our trust and our confidence in him. Now, Zechariah's response is given, but there's another response that we're going to find as well. So as we continue on here, I want us to read this response 
And, and it, you know, it's not always, always the case, but it's often the case uh, that a man's response is often different than a woman's response, that a, a husband's response is often different than a wife's response. And I want you to hear the response of Elizabeth. Listen to what it says. This is, again, Zechariah's wife. It says, when his time of service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. And then she says in verse 25, the Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. What a different response (laughs) from Zechariah to Elizabeth, right? Different response. Different response. Elizabeth is saying, wow, the Lord has done this for me. Let's just say that out loud together on three. One, two, three. The Lord has done this for me. Turn to your neighbor and tell them, the Lord has done this for me. And I want you to think about that. What has the Lord done for you? What has he done in your own life? How has he shown up in your life? Again, the Lord has done this for me. He has shown his favor. In other words, he has shown his kindness. He has shown his grace toward me, taking away my disgrace. Taking away my disgrace. And another way to say disgrace is shame. Where in your own life do you have disgrace? What is it in your own life where you look at it where you say, man, I have disgrace here. Where, again, where do you have disgrace? Maybe it's, again, something you're not, something you wish you were, something that you've done, something somebody said to you that you're holding on to, and it's becoming the narrative of your life. Where is their disgrace? Because the story of Christmas is to tell us that in the midst of disgrace, There's one who took our disgrace on himself and gave his grace to us. Jesus. His kindness. His goodness. His involvement. He moved into the neighborhood. He came near. He came close. We need to name these things in our lives. Because we're walking in them and oftentimes, as I talk to couples, specifically when it comes to premarital counseling, I say, you know, you all have a set of expectations that are within you, and it's a way in which your family operates that you're bringing to this relationship, but neither one of you have spoken it out clearly, so you assume the other one does it the way you do it. You know, I think about that in my my relationship with my wife, Amy. You know, growing up, we put the bread in the fridge. That's just how we did it. Our family, nope, they have a bread box. They leave it out. They leave it out. That's how they do it. And I'm like putting the fridge, the, the bread in the fridge. And, and Amy's like, what are you doing? I'm doing what you're supposed to be doing, putting the, fri- the bread in the fridge. That's how you, how you do it. You know, like that's how, how you roll, right? This is how you keep it fresh and good. And no, 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 no. Leave it, leave it out. The bread box, the bread box, you know, this. Anyways, I, I've given into that because that's a battle I'm not worth, it's worth fighting. I'm like, all right, fine, I'll just, whatever, I don't care. But this is how we do it. But you know, in life, right, there are these assumptions about ourselves we have as well that we haven't been able to name. There are these conclusions that we have drawn 
And disgrace is one of those things that causes us to live with a clouded sense of identity when we cannot name what it is that we are disgraced about, where there is shame. So where in your life do you have disgrace? Which leads us to the next part of this. Christmas reminds us that the favor of God has come. The favor of God has come. And I want you to not miss this because oftentimes we hear the word favor, we think big bank account. We think driving a a Lexus, a Tesla. We think, uh, you know, a big house. Whatever it is in our mind, favor. But really, favor, the word, when you look at it in the Greek, it really speaks of the hand of God upon our lives and his kindness and involvement to us and with us. This unmerited favor that's found in Christ is ours because of what he would do through his life, death, burial, and resurrection. And so his favor has come. His favor has come. And he's involved in our lives. And and think about even when people say, can you do me a favor? Have you ever (laughs) thought about that when when they're saying that? In other words, can you show me a kindness? Can you do me a favor? Can you show me a kindness? And I'm thankful in Christ, the full kindness of God is on display towards us. Because again, Christmas reminds us the favor of God has come. And as we continue, I want us to just consider what that looks like. For us, this Christmas, will you trade your disgrace for the favor God has provided in Christ? Will you make the trade? Will you make the trade from your disgrace to his favor. To his favor. Because his favor is available to us through faith in Christ and walking with him, his hand upon our lives, his involvement in our lives. And yes, amen be to God that it's through the finished work of Jesus that we have this right standing. And so that we then have the riches that belong to Christ on our account because of him. And that's a big part of it. But then there are these other parts of our lives where he shows up, where he gives favor, whether that's with people. And as we're in conversations and he's going before us and orchestrating things in his involvement, whether that's favor and giving us grace that's needed through a diagnosis or a challenging time that we're finding ourselves in, that's his favor in our lives. But we've got to make a trade. So this Christmas, will you trade your disgrace for the favor God has provided in Christ? Will you make the trade? Will you make the trade? Because it's a trade that we all need to make. And on a regular, we need to make this trade. Because guess what? As we've talked about throughout this series, life is like those ebbs and flows, those joyful peaks, but then those deep, dark, difficult valleys where doubt, starts to creep in, where self-reliance starts to lead the way, where we're self-protective. And even when the joyful times come in, we're tending to see ourselves as the reason why that's happening. Look what I did. (laughs) And really, God's like, no, I want you to know I'm so involved in your life, and I want to do it with you. Both, again, the joyful valleys and the deep, dark Sorrow and difficulties, the joyful climbing up those mountains and going down those valleys that we experience in life. Again, will you make the trade? 
Will you trade your disgrace for his favor? And as we continue here, one of the things Elizabeth makes clear, the Lord has done this for me. It's the Lord who has done this for me. The Lord has done this for me. So as we think about the fact that the Lord has done this for me, the Lord has done good things towards me, for me. He's involved in, in the painful parts of my life. He was involved in the waiting that Elizabeth had. And again, we don't know how long she had been waiting for it to turn, for this prayer to be heard, for the nation of Israel to come back to God. We don't know how long they had been praying those prayers. But again, she's quick to acknowledge, you're the one who did this for me. Where in your life can you say, the Lord has done this for me? Where in your life can you say that? And it's important that, again, we name that because it gives us perspective. It allows us to remember how faithful he's been in the past, present, and how he will be faithful yet again in the future. We need to be able just to name these things for our own sake, but also as we walk with God and then encourage one another. Because one of the things I have found, when I start to talk to people about God's faithfulness, oftentimes the things that were the most difficult for me and those moments of doubt are the ways in which I strengthen the faith of others. When I can say, hey, as Amy and I were in that journey of infertility, here's how God showed up. Here's how he worked. Here's how he moved. Here's how he ministered to us. I can have ears of empathy and not give quick fixes. Well, if you just sprinkle this Bible verse on it, you'll feel better, okay? You know, like if you just pray this prayer, it will, be all, it will all be all good, right? But rather we can come near to that. You know, when it comes to stories of abandonment and sorrow and pain, and I walk with others, it's not when those moments in my life went away, it's how God met me in those moments. And then I'm able to strengthen their faith. And I'm strengthened by their faith as well. As they tell me their own stories. As we share the goodness of God towards us. When I talk about all the medical things that Ray had and continues to have, and I'm able to then come alongside others and say, hey, this is how God met us and ministered to us. It informs how I speak to others, how I pray with them, and then how I'm also encouraged by others as well in the midst of it. Where could you say the Lord has done this for me? Yes, there's some outcomes that have shifted. Circumstances have changed. But even when the circumstances weren't going the way that you wanted them to go, how did he show up? How was he at work in you? Don't forget those things, friends. We need to recount them again and again and again. We need to tell those stories to one another. This is how we have the encouragement and the strength to continue on. So the last part of what I want to give you today, as we think about this, because as we come around one another in this, and then we come around those in our neighborhoods, in our work environments, at our schools, those that we end up crossing paths with, I want us to be intentional to be thinking about with whom will you share the favor of Christ with this Christmas? Because I don't know if you know this, but people right now are desperate. They are desperate for hope. They are desperate. 
And those who are followers of Christ are desperate to be reminded of that. For those who are yet to become followers of Christ, they are desperate for people to have ears of empathy, to walk with, to share the hope that's found in Christ. And our church, who we are, we're intended to join him in that, both in word and deed, by serving like Jesus and by sharing what he's done for all people. But who are the people in your life? Are you being prayerful this season to think about, like, who can I share who he is and what he's done for them with? Who are those people? And praying for courage and praying for an open door. And they may not come to the church building, but that's not the point. We actually want them to encounter Christ. We would love them to come here. (laughs) Yeah, of course, they're welcome. But I don't want you to get the wrong idea here. That shouldn't stop you from asking questions about where they are, asking questions how you can be praying for them, praying with them, praying for them, and then even getting into conversations about, hey, who's this Jesus to you? And what do you think about him? I recently had this conversation happen to me at Wegmans. I, I, was, I have a friend named Matt at Wegmans. He works there. And he's a guy from Georgia. So he's a big UGA Bulldog fan. And so whenever we see each other, we're like, go dogs, you know, sick them. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, it's because you're not from there, you're not a Georgia fan, but that's the, their mascot, the dogs. And so Matt and I were just talking, and I just said, hey, Matt, hey, man, I was just curious, like, what are your thoughts about spirituality and, and Jesus and, and how that, those things intersect? And he's like, that's a really deep question. He's got a real Southern accent. That's a deep question, man. I'm, you know, I like Jesus. I really like Jesus. He's, he's really good, man. But, but, it's, but sometimes I don't understand the people that talk about him don't look like him. And so we started to get into that conversation a bit. He said, I think the world would be a lot better place if, if not only we talked about Jesus, but then we joined Jesus and looked like Jesus. And so we stopped the conversation there. He had to get back to work. But needless to say, we've been continuing to text. And you know, that was just like a five minute, I was walking out the door of Wegmans. And he was passing me. But we've had conversations and the Lord just opened that door. And I think if we have eyes to see and ears to hear, we then can join Jesus in what he's up to in the ways that he's working. And again, this is not about me. This is about me saying, hey, Jesus, I believe you're at work wherever I go. Even at the crazy place called Wegmans. At Wegmans, even at Costco, crazy Costco. You could be even more work there, Right? But again, I want you to think about those people. And I want you to be reminded of the favor that God has given to us through Christ. And if you've yet to put your trust in him, I want to invite you to do so today. Let's pray together. Father, right now, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you for how hope has come. Hope has a name. His name is Jesus. Christmas has come here. He comes near our joy and our fear. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for all that you've done. Thank you that, God, you remain faithful even when we're faithless. Thank you that you're involved. And, Father, I pray that we would just sense that this day. And, Lord, for each and every one of us, I pray that we would open our eyes to your goodness and your grace. Lord, I pray that you would not only have your way in our lives, but for us who are here today, who have yet to receive you, that today would be the day to put our trust in you. 
And so, Lord, I pray that um, for us who are hearing this, and, and we've yet to do that, that we would just say, Jesus, I'm putting my trust in you. I recognize my need for a Savior. I can't save myself. I can't do enough good to be right with you, God. But Jesus, you've done it all. And because you've done it all through your life, death, and burial, and resurrection, I can have a right standing with God. The forgiveness of sin, but also the joining, the joining in and with the purposes in which you've created me for. And so, Lord, we thank you for that. And then, Lord, lastly, we just want to enter this next part of our gathering, wanting to respond with great joy, not out of obligation, but because we've received your favor, your grace, your kindness, your goodness towards us. And we pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.